Well, we're in a series called Relationships. Relationships last a lifetime. And that doesn't mean that you may have one particular relationship that'll last a lifetime, but relationships in your life will last a lifetime. You'll always have relationships. You know, there are those of us who feel like maybe I'm tired of people. People have offended me. They've failed me. They've disappointed me, whether it be a spouse or a friend or a sibling, a parent or a child that has disappointed you. And we may feel that it's too much. We want to be callous and we want to build walls. Unfortunately, God didn't make us that way. He made us with something in there that says you must connect. You must connect with me, God says, or there will be an empty void, and you must connect with others. And for some of us, as much as we don't want to, you must do it. It's the command of the Lord. Fellowship is a command of the Lord. And so relationships will last a lifetime for us. And so since relationships last a lifetime, we might as well do what we can to get it right. Come on, somebody. We might as well do what we can to get it right. Amen? You know, we're building our relationship series here on a solid foundation. We started a a couple of weeks ago talking about the most important relationship. And that is our relationship this way with the Lord. Because if we don't have that relationship right, all of our other relationships won't be right. Come on. If we don't understand the love that God has for us, we won't know how to love others properly. If we don't understand the forgiveness, mercy, and even the grace, the favor that God has for us, we won't understand how to show that in relationships we have with one another. Relationships are simply this, my definition for this particular series. Relationships are multifaceted connection between people of all ages, in all places, for all of life, that hopefully bring fulfillment and enhance our destiny. Did you know that we need each other to really complete our destiny and our purpose in life? How can you fulfill your purpose without others? Think about it. What, what might be your purpose in life? Think about that. And how would you fulfill that without relationships with others? Helping us to live a full and satisfying life begins with relationships. And the most important one, our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We're building this series on a scripture, I believe, as a catalyst for at least our first three messages, and I believe there's a lot balled up in this series. And there's a lot balled up in this simple passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn there. Matthew chapter 22. I'm looking at verse 37. Looks like, yeah, we already have it up there. Okay. Uh, You can follow along if you don't have it in your Bible. I'm looking at the New King James Version of the Bible, and Jesus said these words. He said, love the Lord your God. Now, here's what I want you to do as we read this passage of Scripture. I want you to count and take note of the number of times that Jesus says all. That part 
not some, but all. Come on. You shall love the Lord your God with of your heart. Come on. And with all, come on, of your mind, all of your soul. And with what? All of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then the second one is just like it. In other words, the second part of this thing is just as important as the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This version of of the Bible says, but there is a second right alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. In other words, the same way you love yourself, you must love others. Everyone will have a good, bad, indifferent, shallow, deep, strained, relaxed, committed to, or other type, all kinds of relationships. Relationships in our life sometimes are there. They're pillars in our life, one person or a few people. Sometimes people come and go. They're all types of relationships that we have with others. God wants to know how will you manage that? Because I put you here for that. Very often, your relationship to God will dictate how you relate to other people. If it's good this way, then this way will be good. If there's a problem here, then there will be a problem this way. That's why prayer is so important, to learn how to be transparent before God. Why is it important to have that relationship with God right before we can relate to others? Because God is the one that loves you. He is always for you. He is never against you. He never intends to offend you. He never comes after you to embarrass you. He always builds you up. He always shows mercy. He always pours out his grace. He's always there when you fall to pick you up. He's always there when someone else tells you you can't do it. He'll say, it's already done. Your God is the one that says, I am here and I am for you, not against you. And so we can't understand how to begin to relate to other people without understanding that relationship with the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, I've just sort of gleaned out three views. Number one is God's view. God's view of you. This morning we're going to talk about loving and relating to yourself. Because when you look at this passage of Scripture, you may say, well, the Scripture says we must love God, we must love others, and then we must love ourselves. But if you really look at it, what it's saying is we must love God, you must love yourself the biblical way, and then you can love others. Because if you don't know how to love God and if you don't know how to love yourself, come on. Because the scripture says, love others, what? As you love yourself. So there's God's view of you. Now listen to me this morning. That's 100% accurate. 100%. 
God doesn't miss a thing about you. He made you. God knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows me totally and accurately. He knows my failures and my successes. He knows my deep innermost thoughts. Come on. He knows all of those things that I would never want anyone else to know about me. God knows them. And in spite of all of that, he loves you and he accepts you. And he is here to help you. In fact, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Come on. And then the second view are others. There are others that have a view about you. Others don't know you perfectly. They're inaccurate. They might think that they know me, but they don't know me 100%. They may think that they interpret my actions or reactions, but they don't know where that comes from. Others don't know everything that you've been through in your life. Others don't know why you react the way you do. You ever been with your best friend or your spouse or someone you know really well and all of a sudden they act a, a certain way or react a certain way and you're wondering where in the world did that? That's not them. They usually don't act like that. You ever been in that situation? If you haven't, you might be the person that's acting like that. Come on. But others don't know everything about you. Come on. Not even your best friend, not even your spouse. Come on, not 100%. God is the only one that has that. But others have a view of me. Fortunately, unfortunately, they will be, that, that view will begin to shape, <laughs> come on, how I see myself sometimes. And if they have an inaccurate view of me, I, I can begin to become a person that's not me. Because I'm allowing others' view of me to shape how I see myself. You allow what others say about you to become what you think about yourself. They begin to treat me and say certain things to me in such a way that I begin to, per begin to become that person that's not like me. And when that happens, now there's confusion in me. Come on. Now I have a problem. Because there's something going on that's not healthy. I'm allowing others to shape my own view of myself. And then there's your view of you, which is inaccurate, by the way. By the way, your view of yourself is inaccurate. You don't even know yourself 100% accurate. Only God does. Your view is through the grid of your fallen man of your past, your failures, your weaknesses, your successes. You put it all together and you think, that is you. That's typically how I react. And so that's me. And we can bear guilt and shame and it will thrust us into things that we would never do or never feel because we see ourselves wrongfully. We see ourselves with a limited view. Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly, and that's even your view of yourself. You see yourself 
through a glass darkly. Your view is inaccurate. The only view is God's view and the Word of God. Most of us struggle to line up with that because we have built in, we have in, built in us some, some, some flaws. Come on. From the fallen man. And we let others and we let ourselves shape our own view of ourselves. Why? Because we don't spend enough time getting an accurate view. And the only way you can get an accurate view of yourself is to spend time with the one that created you, the one that formed you, the one that fashioned you. Come on. The one that made you. God knows you. I was, I was looking in Genesis the other day, just separate even from this particular uh, sermon series. I was just reading some things in Genesis, and I began to study those first couple chapters of Genesis. And I was, I was looking at how God created man and just the words and the Greek words there that were used in the Bible and how uh, the Bible talks about how God formed man from the dust of the ground. That means he physically shaped him, made toes and everything, hands and his head. And he, he formed man out of the dust of the ground. And then he saw that uh, man uh, was lonely. Come on didn't have a companion. And so from man, he pulled the rib. And it says he made woman. And I looked that up. The Greek word there really means built. Come on, man. You ever looked at a woman and said, boy, she sure is built. (laughs) You didn't come up with that. God made that. (laughs) God did that. He formed us. He built us. He knows us. He knows our innermost being. We need to get the accurate view and then align our life to that so we can be who we really are. Now, you must love yourself. Now, I want to say as we go through this, I want to let you know that we're, going, we're talking about a biblical view. <laughs> all right, so you don't think I'm preaching some new age, just love yourself and everything will be all right. No, there's, a, there's a right plan. Come on. There's a way to do it. And the right plan is for me first to love God like a little pyramid. And God is at the top of this triangle. The right way is for me to love God first. God in the center. Come on. His love, me and others at the base. But if I'm not looking up this way, both of these views are flawed. Come on. I need to love God first because he's the originator. Then I need to love myself and be whole because if I'm not, I won't be able to love and relate to others. Only a whole person can truly love and relate to another. Only one who's whole. Come on. In our generation and generations past, we have been confused about God, about God's grace and God's mercy, God's chastisement. We don't fully understand the concept that God loves you just the way you are. It's difficult for me to get that in my mind. When I see my failures, when I look in the mirror and I see how I blew it that time again, again, how could God love me? Yes, and again. But he does. I mean, you don't have to perform 
in order to get God's love. I mean, you don't serve a God that says, okay, I love you. Oh, okay, Dorothy, you did that thing. Now I love you a little bit more. Ah, that was good, uh, Becca. Now I love you even a little bit more. Oh, good, Dietrich. Good, Mike. Now you did that. Now your love is really, my love is really getting up there for you. How much do we have to do? How much can we do? Think about that as it relates to yourself. God loves you, his love. Now listen, he'll shape you, he'll form you, he'll adjust, he'll put you on the potter's wheel, he'll break you, he'll remake you. Has nothing to do with his love. Actually, it has everything to do with his love. He does that because he loves you. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't do, he'd leave you the way you are. Now think about that when you look in the mirror. Can you say, I love you the way you are? The real you? We're going to talk about it. You'll, you'll, you'll see, I'm not preaching heresy. Can you do that? Can you look at someone else and say, I love you, I love you the way you are? Don't like everything that you do. Don't like the way that you said that or that action you took, self. Come on. But I love you has nothing to do with my love for you. Are you able to do it? We don't have to perform for God. Come on. We don't have to do it. So the right relationship to yourself actually starts with a personal decision to anchor your life to God and to learn how to love yourself the way that God wants you to love. That's where it begins. It starts with an anchor to him. In order to love yourself, you have to start with that anchor to God. Come on. The great children's book author, Dr. Seuss, once said this. Today, you are you, and that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Look at somebody and say, there's no one that's youer than you. No one that's youer than you. Come on. But we go to so many other places to try to improve ourselves other than God and the Word of God to understand how He created us. We can go to therapists, and I'm okay. You know, I'm not coming against them. But we go to the world, and we go to worldly counseling, and we go to worldly uh, psychologists and psychiatrists, and, and we even get uh, the opinions of, of friends and coworkers and people about ourselves. Dave Barry said this. He said, my therapist told me the way to achieve inner peace, true inner peace, is to finish what I start. So today I finished two bags of M&Ms and a chocolate cake. And I feel better already. Come on. <laughs> Except finish what you start. <laughs> I was really moved, uh, and I thought that this was a pretty deep quote by an author, Sabrina Ward Harrison. I came across, and she said this. Think about this for a moment. She said, I'm afraid to show you who I really am because if I show you who I really am, you might not like it, and that's all I got. And I thought, on the surface, it's interesting. But it's actually deeper if you think about that quote. I mean, in other words, I, you know, I'm afraid to show you who I really am inside. Because if I show you who I am, you might say, well, that's okay, but I need some more than that. You need to be, you need to be better than that. Come on, you, you're, you're, you can be better than that. And that's all I got is who I am. I'm afraid to show you who I really am. 
And so it keeps us from relating to each other. Judgment. Judge not that you be not judged. Come on. For with the same measure that you use, oh, come on now, it will be given back to you. It doesn't stop there, though. What's it say? It will be given back to you. Good measure. <laughs> Judgment I'm talking about this morning. Uh, I know you want to talk about seed and plant and money, and that's, that's good. But the Scripture's talking about judgment at its root. Judge not that you be not judged. It'll be given back to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give unto your bosom, give you judgment. Think about that when you're judging others. Come on. Proverbs 19 says this, whoever gets, gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. He who gets sense loves his own soul. And he who keeps understanding will discover good. We need to understand that we are the very workmanship of God. You know the scripture, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. And that word workmanship there really comes from a word poema, meaning poem. We are his poem. We are his tapestry. We are beautiful. Yeah, God doesn't write a junk poem. Come on. His poem is beautiful. You are his workmanship. Do you know that people's attitude toward themselves has a profound influence on their attitude toward God, family, friends, life, and their future? What you think about yourself? What do you think about yourself this morning? Do you dwell on your failures? Do you dwell on your past? Do you dwell on your offenses, those who have offended you? Is that what consumes your mind? Or does your relationship with God and the glory of God and how he made you wonderfully and beautifully, is that before you? Now let me tell you what we're talking about. The right relationship to yourself. Because I want to tell you there's two of you. <laughs> there's your sinful self and there's your recreated, born again, born from above self. First, let's start with the right relationship to your sinful self. This is where we're going. Come on. What is your sinful self? Sinful self is the flesh nature. It's that weaker element in human nature. It's the seed of sin in man and carnality. The flesh is the tendency in each person to operate independently from God. I'm not talking about loving that self. Come on. The unsaved person operates totally in this realm of the flesh. You must understand that the power of fallen nature is seen in Scripture as our Adam nature. And there is strong biblical influence and strong biblical emphasis on our inheritance and what we are in Adam if you stay there and you're not born again. This doctrine of original sin means that the very nature we have inherited is tainted and twisted in self-centeredness. That's not the you I'm talking about. The sinful self is our flesh nature that tends to operate independently and focus one's interests on yourself only. Being inherently tainted 
and twist it. We cannot be wrapped up in self-centeredness. Because remember Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. He's talking about the flesh nature. Come on. Pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But there is hope with that because Paul told us that sin will not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law but under grace. You're not under the law but you're under grace. And you need to be able to look in the mirror and say, You, Michael, sin will not have dominion under you, over you, because you are under grace. And you may think sin is strong. <laughs> Come on, don't raise your hands, but how many think sin can be strong sometimes? And it can be. Proverbs says sin is at your doorstep. It's everywhere around us. You turn on the TV, you listen to a conversation of people talking. Come on. I mean, I can't even go on the, the, the I can't even go on my, my music uh, MP3 and find a song that's not a Christian song that doesn't have an E beside it. You know what that means? Explicit lyrics. The young people know that. I mean, sin is everywhere. But here's where my hope is. <laughs> Paul said, where sin does abound, come on somebody, grace does that much more abound because God is stronger than your sin. Grace is above your sin. And there's nowhere you can go that is out of the reach of God's hand. Come on somebody. All we got to do is turn. You can run to the other side of town and get down in the pig pen and hide with the pigs. But if you would simply stand up and say, guess what? In my father's house, even the servants, come on somebody, are treated better than this. God will say, come on back. I got your robe. I got your ring. And I'm going to restore you to your rightful place. If you would simply turn, come on. Just repent. That's all you have to do. You don't have to put on a song and dance. All you have to do is repent. Come on back. God is stronger. <laughs> the self we deny is our sinful self. Self works that deny God's grace. Self bondage that lives in past failures. Folks, we got to get past this. We have got to get past self bondage. A man with his hand to the plow looking backward is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You need to turn around and look forward. I don't care what happened yesterday. Learn from it. Don't do it again. But look forward. Don't let it keep you in bondage. Because you're doing that to yourself. God's not keeping you in bondage. Come on. Self-will that is stubborn and disobedient to God. Self-degrading. This is another thing that doesn't... Listen, self-degrading does not honor God. I'm talking about this false humility. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, we are to be humble. We know that pride comes before the fall. And God will lift up those who are humble. But there's an area that we get to that's this self-humility. And it really is seated in self-centeredness because we want everybody to see how humble we are. Come on now. 
And, and self-degrading does not honor God. Don't do it. Stop doing it. Self-hate that produces fear and anger. Self-destruction. Self-pride that focus all of your life on yourself. <laughs> and self-love that worships self. We need to put that down. And the reason we need to put that down is because Paul put it like this. If anyone is in Christ, they are what? New creature, a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things. Remember I told you to count those alls. That's right. All things have become new. It's a new day. Come on. Because there's a new you. God breathed the breath of life in you just like he did for Adam. And he looked in there and he saw that dormant man, that spirit man. And he said, wake up. I'm giving you my pneuma. You have my DNA. You are now like me. And your enemy is jealous because when he tried to be like me, I knocked him down. (laughs) When you tried to run from me, I made you like me. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Somebody didn't get that one. When your enemy tried to be like me, I knocked him down and all those with him. But when you ran, I made you like me. (laughs) Come on, somebody. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. We have a new self in Christ. And that new self in Christ, redemption and personal salvation, that's a new you. The new self is renewing your mind to think from a new center. I'm thinking differently now. Watch out. We got a series coming up on thinking and your thought life. I'm thinking differently now from a different place. I'm not thinking based on what I see in this kingdom around me. The kingdom around me is not driving my thoughts no matter what I see. Come on, somebody. New self is in relationship with God and is accountable to God. The new self is at peace with God's grace and accepting your new life. Your new self is the new life with a new heart, a new mind, and new motives. And that's the self you got to love. Come on. Becoming a Christian is the taking of Christ into your life in the place of self. Then all is changed. Life has a new center, a new aim, a new self. Listen to Colossians 3.8. I'm reading this from the message. It says, but you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Listen to this. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. You've stripped off and you put them in the fire. You're now dressed with a new wardrobe. And anytime we fall into that, all we're doing is picking up that old self. And God's trying to tell you this morning, that's not you. Don't self-deprecate. Just because you, you put on this, this, this old man and you, you, you fell, you tripped up. Understand that's not you. That's not the you that God created. That's the fallen man. And he's saying, just put it off. Put off the old man. 
Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. You can't go wrong with it. I don't know what some people may think. They may think, I, don't, I just can't do it because I'm so used to being in, this, in these clothes, in this body, and operating this way. Maybe I'll lose something. Maybe I'll lose some fun. Maybe I'll lose what I've built so hard for. And what God is telling you is that what I have for you is so much better than anything you can hang on to. Come on. You don't know what you're missing because you're hanging on to some old stuff. And you think the wall has been pulled over your eyes. Come on. You think that what you're hanging on to is so great. You're sitting outside with the trash trying to hang on to the trash. That's what it's like. And God's saying, come on in here where it's clean. And the street made of gold. Come on. Gates made of pearls. I don't do anything halfway. I got cattle on a thousand hills. What you need? Come on, somebody. Come on in here to the kingdom. I'm talking about where you can walk on top of your circumstances. I gave you a taste of it with Peter. When the storms are all around you, come into the kingdom. This kingdom inside the kingdom. That's what he's telling you. Come on in here. But we need to understand and we need to say, I have been crucified with Christ. (laughs) Nevertheless, I live. No longer I, but it's Christ that lives in me. (laughs) which I now live in the flesh, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we do this? Here's how we do it. We like right relationship with the new you. Remember this. Number one, you need to accept the uniqueness of who you are. There's nobody youer than you. God made you just the way you are. Stop wanting to be like somebody else. I wish I was... Uh, you know, 6'3", and, you know, had muscles like the rock, and, you know, looks like this person, and could talk like that person, and, you know, had a vocabulary like that person, and, you know, there's always something else, somewhere else that we're looking at. But God is saying, there's nobody youer than you. I mean, as much as you do that, there's other people out there saying, I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. Stop wishing we were like each other and accept the uniqueness of who you are, what God created you to be. You're here for purpose. We must have a right self-image. Come on. Listen to Psalm 139. You know you've memorized part of this scripture. I know you have. But listen to it in its entirety, the whole passage from 13 to 16. Listen to this. David said, it's a Psalm of David. He said this, speaking to God, he said, You formed my inward parts, even my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully, come on, and wonderfully made. But listen to this next line. See, you know, I always quote that scripture and I stop right there. Oh, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I stop right there. Listen to what David said. He said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and marvelous are your works. I don't know about you, but I'm marvelous. God said it. I'm not, I, I look and say it's a funny-looking guy with a bald head. But, but God's works are marvelous. Come on. And you just can't look at someone else and say, you got to be able to look in the mirror. And say that man inside, that woman inside, that thing that God created 
Marvelous are your works. Come on. And that my soul knows very well. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you, and he only makes things marvelous. I mean, do you really get that this morning? Accept the uniqueness of who you are. Secondly, invest in the new self. Invest in your new self. Invest in your uniqueness, your specific talents and abilities, your specific gifting. How do I do that? How do I invest in it? Well, how do you invest in your body? You feed it. You work it out. Come on. How do you invest in the new self? You feed it with the word. Come on. You work it out by what you speak. And your actions line up with what you speak. I remember a guy telling a story about... A young man who was going to college and his mom was poor. He grew up in a poor household, and, but his mom always prayed for him. And she just believed God would make a way. And he, he finally, I'm skipping through a bunch of stuff, but he grew up in a very poor household. But he finally went to college and he registered. His mom didn't have any money. She had just enough money to pay for the application fee. At that time, it was about $20, and that was it. I mean, that was her food, money, and everything, but she put it on there. And he went to register, and now he says, I don't have any money, and here is this line for people that are registering, and it's the bursar's office. And so when you get all the way up there, you have to register your classes, and you got to pay some money. Before you can start taking your classes. This is a true story. This was a preacher, E.V. Hill. And he said, I got online. I like to say I got in line, but some people say I got online. I got in line and I started walking. And when the next person went, I kept on walking. Now in my mind, I'm saying, I don't have any money. I don't have a way to pay the bursar's office. My mom is poor, but she told me to get in line and by faith believe and trust God. And he got all the way up to the front, and his name was about to be called, and another man came up to him and said, are you E.V. Hill? He said, yes. He said, I don't know what happened, but this paperwork just came through. You got a full scholarship for the four years here at the university. Pay for your books and your room and board and everything. I was looking for you. I didn't, I didn't think you'd be in here. I thought you'd be in your room. But we finally tracked you down. True story. That's a true story. If you want to invest in yourself, you got to get in line. God tells you to get in line. You got to get in line. You got to believe. Come on. You got to believe. Which goes with this third thing, reject condemnation. Reject it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus, walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. God doesn't come to condemn you. Well, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you here for? He said, I came into the world to save, not to condemn. To save those who are lost, not to condemn. Someone once organized a running competition for frogs. 
And the goal was to reach the top of a very high tower. Whoever got there first, whichever frog got there first, he won or she won. A big crowd gathered. No one really believed that these tiny frogs would reach the top of this big tower. So the race started, and as people do, they started exclaiming, they'll never make it to the top. Not a chance you'll succeed. Why are you trying that? That tower is too high. These frogs are crazy. As the race went on, the tiny frogs began collapsing one by one. People kept yelling, you can't make it to the top of that. Look at that, falling one by one. All of you are going to fall down. You can't make it. No one will make it. It's too difficult. More tiny frogs got tired and gave up. But one continued to go higher and higher. At the end, every other frog had given up climbing up the tower, except this one tiny little frog, who after a big effort was the only one who reached the top. And everyone asked its owner, how was he able to win? The owner said, well, my frog is deaf. <laughs> Sometimes you can't listen to what the enemy is telling you. Sometimes you can't listen to what other people are telling you. Come on. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, think positive thoughts, Bible thoughts, God thoughts, not just good thoughts. Thoughts that build your spirit, build your confidence. Thoughts that empower you to greatness. You must believe that God believes in you. Come on. God has chosen you and God believes in you. What do you think that God thinks about when God thinks about you? And I guarantee you, whatever it is, it's probably a little bit inaccurate. Because God thinks love and grace and mercy toward you. He thinks building up. He thinks I got to prune away those things that are not like you because I want you to be perfect. That's what he thinks when he thinks about you. Biblical approval of yourself. Honesty demands we concede the fact that self-perception may be grossly inflated. <laughs> we are cautioned to think right. Romans says this. Paul told the Romans. He said, for I say uh, through the grace given to me, uh, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but soberly, as God has dealt each one, what? The measure of faith. An honest biblical view of ourself. I'll leave you with this. Take this into your own heart this morning. Something that God told Joshua, but I believe he's saying it even to you this morning to build yourself up. He said, this book of the law, he's talking to Joshua, you know it in Joshua 1.8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For you, God is speaking this this morning, for you will then make your way prosperous and you will have good success. God's thoughts are God's words in motion toward you from the Holy Spirit, the written word, the quickened word. Believe he has cleansed you from all sin, that you are pure, 
You are holy. You are beautiful. You are what God created you to be. Just because you don't always act like that, don't think that that's not who you really are. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Some of us sometimes feel like, you know, I I really need deliverance. Keep falling into this thing that I so that so easily besets me and I regret so I just I just need a deliverance I need a deliverance I need somebody to lay hands on me and for God miraculously to deliver me from this thing I don't want to burst any spiritual bubbles this morning but I just feel this is the Lord's word for today some of us feel like we need deliverance but really what we need is self-discipline come on say it again. Some of us feel like we need deliverance, and there's times for it. Don't get me wrong. Don't think I don't believe in deliverance in the spirit realm. I do. Absolutely. But I just feel like for today, God is saying some of us just need self-discipline. We need to realize who we are in God. It starts with that. It starts with our relationship with Him, and then we must love ourselves, the self that God created. We must understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are his works.